Crisis Management, Columbus Business First's podcast about doing business amid the coronavirus pandemic. John Barker is president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. The statewide organization represents more than 22,000 establishments in Ohio, employing around 585,000 people, or about 10% of Ohio's workforce. That is, of course, until COVID-19 hit. Restaurants and bars have been decimated by the pandemic. An estimated 11% in Ohio already have closed for good. And that's a figure that seems likely to increase. But by how much is the question? Barker talks about how his members are feeling these days and the changes they need to see to keep their businesses open. He discusses the perception that restaurants and bars are a haven for virus spread and how they're trying to combat that. And he shares several updates on programs that would help restaurants navigate a potentially trying winter. As always, thanks for listening. All right. Well, I know you got a busy day, so we will uh, we will get down to business. I think the best place to start would be give me a snapshot of the industry at this moment. You're you're in constant contact with your members. You're doing a weekly survey. Uh, we're a few months into this. What's the sentiment at this time? What's the what are the key issues? Yeah, I think the sentiment is um, people are feeling like they really want to get their business going again. And in some cases, I think um, if they're in a sector like pizza, they're doing really well. That's a unique one. Uh, some quick service, some of the franchisees are doing better, meaning that they just turned positive <clears throat> for the first time, really, you know, probably since since early March. And uh, we've been picking that up just from talking to franchisees as well as um, just looking at the publicly traded numbers, you know, company numbers that come out. And then some of the fast casual guys are, you know, flat. Uh, and some of them are, you know, uh, leaking over to positive. You get out of those kind of narrow sectors and most of the people in the restaurant industry continue to really suffer. We just got our latest polling data, which ends the week of August 16th. About 87% of restaurants have now reopened. So after the March shutdown, about 87 got reopened, but 11% just told us they're not going to reopen. And uh, that's concerning, right? That's, yeah. that's a real number. The projected number <clears throat> is more difficult to, you know, if you're open now and you're kind of squeaking by and, you know, you're not making any money, but you're still just trying to get there. That's the group we worry about the most. And, um, you know, our latest poll, for three weeks in a row, we've asked this question. Do you think you can survive another nine months if conditions stay the same? And those mm-hmm. conditions are pandemic, capacity limitations, curfews, and then consumer confidence, which is low. If all those conditions stay the same, 53% tell us that they don't believe they can operate another nine months, uh, that they would close. And that jumped out us that we we started to track that really about three, four weeks ago, and it stayed right at that number. Now, to be fair, I think that skews hard for independent restaurants and mm-hmm. small restaurants and our mom and pops. But, you know, every type of restaurant really matters. And particularly, you know, as you and I have talked, in these small towns, these independent restaurants are the lifeblood. I mean, they are the gathering place. It's, you know, where people have their family gatherings and events and things like that. And, and typically, you know, the owner of those restaurants may be one of the most successful people in those towns. And so we really worry about that. Uh, and that's in the little towns. Now, in our bigger towns, and Columbus is a good example, if you just walk around downtown or drive around downtown, you see a lot of businesses closed. Mm-hmm. A lot of restaurants already closed. And so they're already looking at it and saying, there's no way I cannot operate it down 50, down 60, down 70% sales. I just can't. And I don't see that changing. And mm-hmm. when winter comes, it's probably going to get worse. And um, 
one of the things that that really jumped out at us in, in some of the comments we got back in our survey, Dan, is that people are so worried about the winter and losing their patios yeah. and you know, outdoor dining because that's a way for them to, you know, at least get you know, some good sales on, on, on good weather days. And so they're looking forward to that and worry about it too. So it's just a combination of all these things that are worrying so many people in the industry. And that's not just unique to Columbus or Ohio. We're hearing that from all of our peers across the states. What kind of changes do operators need to see or want to see? And, and what ones are realistic? You know, look at looking ahead a few months. I mean, acknowledging, you know, who knows what the future holds, but is there any potential relief or help out there on these issues? Because, you know, as you noted, as it gets colder, they're going to lose capacity again. You know, one of the big debates that's going on in, in many of the states, not just here in Ohio, is, you know, what is the real data behind mm-hmm what's going on with with COVID. And there's a big debate about it in general, but as it relates to businesses and where you go uh, out to businesses, Mm -hmm. there's a debate. Is that really the, uh, an area where there's a lot of COVID transmission or is it just a perception? And uh, the deal that we're picking up everywhere, and this started actually in our sister city in uh, in Cincinnati, when Mm -hmm. the mayor came out and showed the data and restaurants were not up not a source of, of, uh, of COVID transmission. Pretty consistently, what we've seen in the contact tracing data, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's our nursing home, prisons, places where you have a lot of very tight confinement uh, with individuals, perhaps older individuals. The second area is now these kind of gatherings that people are having, whether it's backyard parties or, you know, things like mm-hmm. that, family events, and just when a lot of young friends get together, things like that. It all makes sense, right? Because in those settings, you let your guard down a little bit, right? People may not wear their masks. They may not stay six feet. I mean, it's just, it's human nature. It's nothing, mm-hmm. it's just, it's what happens. When it gets into, you know, where do restaurants kind of fit in this and almost all the data we see, uh, restaurants, you know, are either not in the mix or they're very low in the mm-hmm. mix. Not any different, by the way, the data we just saw out of Michigan, lower than retail, lower than mm-hmm. some of the improvement stores, things like that. And so that we're really digging into, and we've had some conversations. We had, unfortunately, we had um, our National Restaurant Association had some time with Dr. Burks, mm-hmm. kind of pointed all this out, as well as really walked her through all the steps that restaurants are taking to be as safe as they possibly can be. And, and I got to tell you, I've gone into now just dozens and dozens of restaurants, and everyone I go to, I say, walk me through your procedures. What are you doing? And, and almost to a T, they say, we're doing all this for our employees and our guests, mm-hmm. which includes themselves, right? As the owner or the operator, or the general manager, they all want to be safe, right? The last thing in the world they'd ever want to have happen is come into their location and have a situation, you know, where somebody uh, got uh, COVID transmission. So we got to keep telling that, that story and that mm-hmm. dialogue. And, um, you know, just right out of, a, you know, yesterday Cuomo came out in New York and said he can perceive shutting down restaurants again in New York this fall, but didn't back it up with any data, any mm-hmm. information, just a general comment, you know, uh, by a political elected leader. And whether or not that happens, that certainly weakens consumer confidence and business confidence. And so mm-hmm. those restaurants are going to say, huh, I might have to start laying off people now. I may not order any inventory. The ripple effect when you shut down restaurants goes all the way through, as you know, all the food distributors. Mm-hmm all the suppliers, you know, it's paper goods. It's, you know, it's the actual ingredients we serve. It's, you know, silverware, it's table. Think about the rent that they pay, you know, think about the taxes they pay. All that's going to go away, all the way back to the farms. And it's interesting, you know, we talk to the Farm Bureau and some of their mm-hmm. folks on a regular basis and they're nervous as can be. 
We're trying to get more data on this so the good decisions are made. And we want to be lockstep with our elected officials on this. And you know, the good news is that we have a, a very good and a productive relationship with the governor, mm-hmm. the lieutenant governor on this, right? We have a restaurant advisory group that they that they oftentimes will meet with and talk to. And you know, we have folks on that. I talk to the lieutenant governor every week mm-hmm. regularly with a group of our board. And so we just want to make sure we totally understand it. And we're all sharing that information to make good decisions here in Ohio to, to try to help as many restaurants as we can. Have you had much luck getting data related to Ohio or Ohio cities? Because I will be honest, I have not. Having asked that questions, you know, at the state level, I've been told that um, their information is not searchable by occupation, and that's not something that they are tracking. Uh, I hope I'm not uh, mischaracterizing that, but that's essentially the message I got, is that this is data that they're not really looking at. And yet there, there seem to be anecdotal examples that will be given in, in, in press conferences. Is, are, you, are you having this similar experience or have you seen or had access to any additional data that says, yes, uh, restaurants, this is coming from restaurants or this isn't coming from restaurants? Most of it's anecdotal. We requested it. You know, the governor has said on the press conferences that they're continuing to work through data and, and try to understand it. We also have data, though, from uh, Ohio Public Safety mm-hmm. as well as uh, Liquor Commission, and they've gone out and really investigated more bars and things mm-hmm. like that. People have said, hey, I'm observing this, and can somebody go and do the investigation? And so we get that data back, <clears throat> and we have regular conversations with them. And what they tell us, frankly, is that the vast majority of the places that they go to, there is no infraction. There is no violation. They actually work very carefully. They walk in, first of all, how can we work with you to make sure there's no violations? And the violations meaning everybody has to be seated. Right. You know, it, whether you're a bar or restaurant, you have to be seated. And, you know, all the normal things and hand washing and, and you know, face coverings and six foot distancing or barriers. And they, and they tell us the vast majority are doing it just fine. The ones that are not for the first time in the last couple of weeks, the Ohio Liquor Commission is actually you know, taking those cases mm-hmm. and they started to suspend licenses. And so that we did ask them to consider doing it. And we don't want anybody to lose their license. You know, right. we don't want to cringe on anybody's ability to run their business. But, you know, if you're an outlier and you're doing all these violations and that's what's causing this public perception, then we have to correct that. Because I, as I said, I've walked into dozens of restaurants and met with owners and walked those restaurants, kitchen, servers everywhere mm-hmm. in the rest and they're working so hard to make sure that it's as safe as it possibly can be and so we got to protect them i'm going to put you on the spot here uh what's the reaction you get from you know the governor's office or, or lieutenant governor houston or public health when you say to them you don't have the data and yet you you are continuing to restrict our business and in the case of bars you're putting even more restrictions on business and you're saying that we are a problem industry. You know, I guess what, what you know, if you're able to, to share some, some insights, because it sounds like you're working with them, but on one hand they're saying the problems are coming from here, but evidence doesn't necessarily support the problems are coming from here. So how do you walk that line? No, it's an ongoing dialogue. And I'll give you an example. When the governor came to us, uh, there was a weekend where there were a lot of pictures of bars or really mm-hmm. crap. They may remember all that and said, hey, I think we got a problem here. And cases were going up at that time. Reported cases were going up and hospitalizations. And he said, can you get the restaurant and advisory group together and look at this and come back with some recommendations? And we did. 
worked all weekend, came back very quickly with recommendations and presented those. And we said, look, we, we don't 100% believe that this is kind of a mass problem, but you know, if, if we need for a period of time to put some kind of limitation you know, on, on, on this, here's what we would recommend. And we recommended a midnight curfew mm-hmm. for the sale of alcohol. And the reason is all restaurants would be fine with that, right? They're, they close, sure. their kind of last turn is maybe 10 o'clock, maybe 11, depending on the restaurant, that type of thing. And even the people who are in those uh, uh, shifts, you know, who are getting off at 10, 11, that pretty much covers them if they wanted to go out and sit down at the end of their shift. Mm-hmm. By the way, 11 o'clock might seem late to some of us. For people who work shifts, that's dinner time. Yeah. We pointed that out, right? And uh, and I thought we had a pretty good dialogue about that. But the governor came back, and you know, he had had conversations that week again with Dr. Burks. All the governors are meeting on a regular basis. He has all this other information, and, and they, you know, unfortunately, they they picked ten for the sale of alcohol, but eleven for consumption, which still worked for most restaurants on alcohol. Restaurants can still serve food, so you know, as as kind of a negotiate, you know, negotiation and that type of thing. That was reasonable, except for our bars in our exact verbatims coming from our bars, not being able to uh, sell alcohol to 10 o'clock has decimated them, right? Because yeah. a lot of sales occur when people get off work and go out at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 neighborhood bars, places like that. They're really hurting. And, you know, and, and so there's nothing we can, we can't, you know, force a change on that. We can just keep making recommendations and ask for more data. And then on the flip side, we, you know, we're going to have to give support to the, to these folks. So we're starting to have that dialogue, both at the state level with the governor's office, we're having it with uh, the legislature in the state. And of course we're advocating at the national level for mm-hmm. another round of the paycheck protection program. That was a lifeline for the summer for these mm-hmm. folks. They got reopened. And we're going to need another one. Or you're, that's that's when I think that closure number will go a lot higher if we don't have that. I think it would go significantly higher than 11% that we're seeing right now. In terms of potential aid, you just mentioned uh, you know another round of Paycheck Protection Program funds. Um, what other opportunities, resources might be out there? Are you advocating for to to help your members kind of bridge this time until things can can maybe stabilize? Yeah, there's some small business loans, you know, both at the state level that comes through uh, Lydia Mihalik's uh, group, uh, the Economic Development Group, that some of our smaller businesses have been able to access. There's the Economic Injury Disaster Loans that some people, mm-hmm. that's a federal program, some people have been able to do that. Those are for the businesses and we help them, you know, we help them line up banks and, you know, we, we do all that to help them because the smallest businesses, Dan, they don't have these resources. They don't have relationships. Right. It, it, they kind of walk in and 10 people run over and say, how can we help you, Right. So we do, we do try to help them with that. So, you know, one of the things we're asking Congress to really get back to is the unemployment benefits because unemployment in the state is somewhere north of 11%. The claims continue to come in very high. Those numbers just came out again yesterday. And unfortunately, Congress came to a stalemate on that. It's totally unfair uh, to people who've been affected by this pandemic and they're really hurting. And so we're, we're advocating very hard for that. Whether it's gonna end up being 600, 300, there'll be probably be some number in between mm-hmm. all that. That people need that. That's their lifeline to survive until we get back to work. And so we're advocating for that. One thing we did ask for, and we had a great conversation with Senator Brown, uh, Senator mm-hmm. Sherrod Brown, about this, is to extend the SNAP benefits, which if you know how that works, <clears throat> that's the supplemental uh, food program. Right now, it's only uh, you can only use it in a grocery store for certain types of uh, items, which we think is great You know, for people who need it, obviously. But we'd like to see it extended and have it uh, increased a bit. And that's what Senator Brown's trying to ask for, a percentage increase. Also extended to restaurants, because interestingly, as we dug into this, a lot of families who used to have to make 
seven meals a week, you know, so maybe seven dinners or, you know, mm-hmm. dinner times are now having to cook at home 21, you know, figuring out a way to feed their kids 21 times a week. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot, particularly if they're nervous about going out and going into grocery stores and all those things, right? So could we extend it to restaurants and have people be able to have takeout and delivery meals so that that's just another option for them and they could be nutritious and, you know, they can choose what they want. And many of our restaurants uh, would love to, to be part of that. So we're beginning to have that conversation. So we're looking at the owners, employees, you know, mm-hmm. the most vulnerable uh, people uh, in our society, you know, and I think that's the right thing to do. Restaurant people, and you know, they have big hearts, right? They mm-hmm. really help. And, and I mean that sincerely. Some of them, you know, these stories we hear that, you know, they hardly are having any sales, but they're still making meals and providing them to food banks and things like that. Mm-hmm. We want to be part of all that. How are things progressing? Are you, are you confident that some of these resources may come to fruition? You know, it's hard to tell with Congress because now it's caught up in the political mess of the conventions right. for a couple of weeks. And uh, I don't think either side's going to do much, although the Republicans did fashion what they refer to as a skinny down version of their, of their bill, which mm-hmm. they're going to try at least 50 yeses on and get that floated again. In that, I think, was $300 uh, unemployment from the federal side. PPP is in there. One thing on the PPP, we think it's critical that there is a revenue loss requirement so that all the <laughs> hate to call it, shenanigans that went on mm-hmm. the first time got the money that should not have gotten it, including places that didn't even lose any money got qualified for, you know, if we take all that out, meaning you have to show we're arguing for at least a 20% revenue uh, decline, mm-hmm. all of our small restaurants would qualify for Absolutely. But so would so many other small businesses. All, mm-hmm. you know, talking to uh, Brian Ross at the convention center, all the hotels, right? Everybody that's associated with catering and just that whole big business, they would all qualify and just give them a lifeline, you know, to get through winter and uh, cross our fingers and hopefully, you know, come out early next year and, and, uh, and maybe, you know, maybe we have at that point a vaccine or a medicine or mm-hmm. other to deal with this. Um, so that's what we're arguing for, um, and we're praying. I think there probably won't be much action, though, until after the Republican convention. That, that's what we're hearing from the inside. Do you foresee any lessening of restrictions, be it, I guess, capacity would be the big one, or maybe a, a rollback on that that limitation of alcohol sales? Is there, you know, I know that one's fairly fresh, so I can't imagine it would go anywhere anytime soon, but is there any indication on the timeline of when some of these may be could be lessened or what, what sort of levers or numbers the state would need to say to be like, all right, we can allow more people out now. Right. Right. I think it's um, overall numbers, hospitalizations, ICU you know, usage, as well as uh, the positivity rate. And all those numbers are trending better uh, in the last couple of weeks than they were before. And so we have asked, obviously, um, the governor's office to at least help us understand what would be the triggers to move off of the alcohol restriction. Mm-hmm. The, other, the other thing on the alcohol is if, we've, we're, if we are arresting the problem of these big violators, right? If mm-hmm. we're getting at it, starting to suspend these licenses, then you've only probably got to do five or 10 of them and publicize it. And then people know, well, wait a minute, they're serious now. They're yeah. going to suspend our license. And by the way, it's 20 days is what some of the suspensions were, right? Which is, is pretty tough, right? And again, we don't want anybody to lose their license, but you start getting that story out there. And I think the amount of outliers is going to diminish rapidly. And if that's the case, then we don't need a curfew. Right. Um, right. Get, you know, and I know, you know, with kids going back to school or at least 
in theory, they're going to go back to school and colleges, you know, people were concerned maybe the college bars would, you know, be a problem. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, we've communicated this, the governor's office has communicated this. If a college bar is out of control and someone from the Ohio investigative unit goes in and sees this and they're not doing anything to correct it, you lose your license. Doesn't matter, you know, what the deal is. And so, yeah, that's corrected and the numbers a little bit better. I think, re you know, releasing that restriction would be a reasonable next step. Can you think of any other issues or, or topics we haven't uh, haven't discussed? Well, the one, um, interestingly, with our uh, relief fund, which we mm -hmm. put together, you know, boy, it's probably going on three months ago that we started that. Um, we're up to about a thousand people uh, that we've been able to um, uh, write checks. In fact, I, I signed a whole bunch of them again yesterday. And, um, you know, we started that and uh, we got some donations from some bigger companies. But, you know, Dan, we also got people sending in five bucks, mm -hmm. you know. Just incredible. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of money, you know, but here's what I can do, you know what I mean, in five dollars. And so we added all that up, and then we cover all the cost at the ORA. We don't we don't take any cost out of that at all. So if you know a dollar comes in, a dollar comes out, and there's, and we have a C3 that manages this, so mm -hmm. it's a, a nonprofit. It's called our Education Foundation, and so that's been a, a labor of love, and we continue to do that. And uh, when so we thought kind of maybe we're over that, like unemployment was going to get better, people were coming back. But it, unfortunately, now we've had another spike of, uh, you know, furloughs and things like that. And so we've kept it going and we just kind of started a little play on the ESPN uh, 30 for 30. We're trying to raise another um, $30,000 uh, in 30 days. And so we've, we've started that campaign and we've had, we've had a lot of fun with this with celebrities. You know, Michael Simon did a whole bunch mm -hmm. of these things for us, a celebrity chef and Mario, you know, our Italian, uh, you know, uh, Iron Chef did it and, and just different people uh, around town, around our cities have done just, hey, you know, I'm giving a little bit of money. Could you do mm -hmm. it too? Uh, again, doesn't have to be a lot of money, but sometimes for folks who, who now are not getting the federal unemployment, being able to get one of these grants means they can go to the grocery store and get some food. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what they tell us. So, you know, we're working on that uh, the best we can. Great. Great. Well, John, uh, I think that covers everything. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day for me, and I hope you uh, enjoy the, the travels and the openings that you're going to today. Okay, Dan. Thanks. Good to see you.